Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Alrighty, everybody, welcome to the Barca Bloodgrounders podcast. My name is Josh. We are joined by our long-lost pal, Emil Avanesi. And Emil, how are we doing today? I'm good, Josh. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, so I looked at the table this morning for the first time in a minute because it's honestly just been so depressing to look at the La Liga table because, yeah. the, uh, like most Barcelona fans, the thought of missing out on Champions League football you know, for the rest of this year and then into next year uh, was just too depressing to think about. Uh, yeah, I looked at the table this morning and they are three points off the top four with a match in hand, which was just like, I mean, it, it was just better than like the first sip of coffee after a long night or whatever. Like, it, yeah, it, it just it washed over me. And I was like, wait a second. There's hope. Um, the glorious yeah. <laughs> escape over Elche over the weekend. Uh, what were your thoughts on the match? How did you think they played? It left me both feeling good and also like, wow, this team's actually really bad again. <laughs> and like, well. I don't know. It was just, it was a weird match because the defense looked in shambles. Ter Stegen looked weird. And yet they just like the passion from the players on offense just came through. Yeah. I mean, I think that kind of was it. It felt like a weird, almost like a continuation of the, the Osasuna game where, you know, like when they look good, they look good. And even, you know, I've been, I've spoken with a friend here and we talk about even when they're not necessarily playing well, uh, and I think we've talked about this. I'm not like uh, a crazy, almost like, you know, I don't want to ruffle any feathers, but like, I don't, I'm not like a performative Barca purist careful, or anything. Careful, careful. Where, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no. But, you know, like the whole thing when people were talking about, um, like, I personally sort of long for the days of, you know, <laughs> control and sanity under Ernesto Valverde. And even though just, you know, the, there's a, a significant faction of fans who are, you know, I don't know what they, they wanted something other than consistent victory. And uh, so we're in it now, but uh, at the very least, it kind of, it looks like um, stylistically, it looks more like what Barca, you know, has looked like kind of in that, you know, in the very traditional kind of 
Barca way, sense of speaking. The problem is like they're not, I they're not ideally constructed to play that way yet, and I don't even know if they're at this point yet ideally sort of drilled and knowledgeable in their you know everybody is uh, I don't know if everyone's sort of knowledgeable enough in their positions and the responsibilities of every role to actually play that way effectively. But this is you know it's growing pains it's a growth process. But the the Osasuna game really burned you know because it just it felt like at long last we're like all right this isn't it's not a vintage win it's not a four nil five nil you know celebration but okay let's bank three points and then you know we're gonna and then we're, we're gonna go on and see see what happens and then you know you give up that lady equalizer that just absolutely takes you know all the wind out of the sails and everything and then against Elche they jump out ahead and I'm like, okay, cool. 2 0 at home. You know, what was it? Uh, 25 minutes left to play. Like, all right, cool. This in, in years past, I understand this isn't the Barca of years past. You're like, in years past, okay, the other team has to come out. They have to start pressing and we can hopefully open the floodgates. Maybe this does go three, four, five nil. And then inside of five minutes, it's, it's level. Literally, and, minutes. it was 62nd and 63rd minute. It was, like, yeah, yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was, it was astounding. And so you're like, oh, man, like nothing is, nothing is safe with you guys, you know, like just like we leave you guys for two minutes, and, you know, you just, you go and make a mess. And so the, the win, like it felt, like you said, it felt good. You need the three points. Looking at the table now, I mean, thank you very much to Athletic Club for uh, uh, taking out Real Betis yesterday and, uh, you know, all kinds of gratitude to Cadiz as well. But, uh, you know, I think, um, well, I suppose Sevilla as well. But, uh, you know, it, you need these. You, like, they, yeah. they got the three points. They got the three points that was well-timed also when other, when other sides were dropping points. Um, this won't live long in the memory. You know, we won't be, we won't be telling children and grandchildren about this, but you know, these are the, the unspectacular sort of grinded out wins that are going to get them a fourth place finish if they get it. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately for us, um, this like kind of celebration might be short lived because in 24 hours they're playing Sevilla away. Um, yeah. Sevilla are the best defensive team in La Liga. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not particularly close um, <laughs> from the statistics I'm looking at. I think it's like them and uh, Athletic Club. Uh, yeah. Athletic they Club have, Bilbao, yeah. Like 12 goals this year, Athletic Club 14, and then uh, Real wild. is 15. Um, I was going to say that we're going to get a chance to see a team, Barcelona <laughs> face a team that is defensively brilliant and not, not offensively potent. Uh, but Sevilla have actually scored as many goals as Barcelona this year and Madrid. Um, they're not, you know, they're not Real Madrid level of goal scorers, but they can certainly score goals, obviously. Hence, they're, you know, uh, yeah. seven points so far this season. Um, they've had a couple off matches in a row. This is like yet another, I, I'm very interested to see them play the Sevilla team because I think against like Bayern Munich, right? Like we saw Barcelona just offensively just couldn't do anything against a world-class mm-hmm. defensive team. And they're going against another world-class defensive team, not on the level yeah. of Bayern Munich, but a mm-hmm. very, very good defensive team, clearly. Um, how do you think this Barcelona 
youthful attack will play against Sevilla? Do you think they're just going to get stifled and we're looking at like a 1-0-1-1 kind of match? Or do you think that they can potentially open things up and look look somewhat positive against this team? I mean, I mean, it's not to be too optimistic. Just first off in the sense that Sevilla have been excellent defensively. You know, I mean, I'm looking at their... Um, you know, just the the recent run of matches. And, you know, I'm trying to, they haven't conceded multiple goals in a game since they played Real Madrid on November 28th. So, I mean, it's, and, you know, and then prior to that, it was November 2nd. So, I mean, it's, they don't leak goals, you know? I mean, that's just not a thing that happens. And so in that sense, it's already a pretty, pretty tall mountain to climb. Um, and I think even more so, like you look at the stats from there, and I, I wish I had gotten to watch the Atletico Madrid match. Um, but like you look at the, and I don't even know what to take away from their win over Atletico Madrid because they scored so early and then Atletico mm-hmm. equalized in the first half as well, but they still had more possession. Um, mm-hmm. they gave up 15 shots, but only three shots on target. Like the statistics from this game are just very strange, and like I kind of wish. I honestly wish I'd watched this match to learn something because I feel like there's probably a lot to learn about Sevilla in this match, but it was still just like a pretty dominant performance over Atletico Madrid, who hasn't looked like themselves clearly this year, but are still a good team. And honestly, this makes me feel worse about the match tomorrow. But I... <laughs> well, and the thing is too, Atletico, Atletico aren't the um, sort of the classic Simeone side that, you know, you know, they're they're not the the win one nil and you know, I mean, if it wasn't for Barcelona looking so depressing this year, the story would be Atletico Madrid just like laying an egg for how much talent they yeah. have offensively. And they've kind of, you know, they've lost that. They've lost that idea, you know, because they've obviously they've had a lot of personnel changes over the last, you know, two or three years or whatever. But yeah, and you know, they're not the they're not the defensive lockdown side, and you know, they they're not going to stifle everybody. So yeah, I think they're in that sense they're more potent in attack, I think, than they have been in years past, or at least more attack-minded, I guess, philosophically, than they have been in years past. Um, And they're plenty talented. So, I mean, in that sense, um, you know, what Sevilla did against them was was very impressive. And I think, look, depending on who's who's fit for Barca and how they, you know, what what the front line is that, that Xavi puts out, I mean, I, I can see Barca creating some chances. Like, I don't, I don't think it's going to be just a, an awful kind of, you know, toothless showing. Um, I think the, the biggest thing is going to come down to, like with Barca, they need to maximize the opportunities that they do create. Just, and that's just a, a, a general statement, you know, uh, from almost irrespective of a weak season game, you know, anything like that. So they're going to have to, particularly in this game, maximize the, the opportunities that they create because, like you said, I mean, Sevilla will let you uncork shots, but they're not going to let you just pepper the goal. You know, yeah. like just but you're going to get... for Barcelona, <laughs> we have to get pretty close in order to actually convert on goal opportunities. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's... I know, exactly. So it's... Uh, well, my biggest fear is that... <laughs> As soon as you said that, my biggest fear, and I genuinely hope this isn't 
actually going to play out. My biggest fear was that uh, Luke De Young is just like planted in the box and just they're trying to lob in you know, crosses to his head, <laughs> which would be horrifically depressing. But um, yeah, I mean, I think just the but the opportunities that they get, they have to be able to put them on on target because yes, if you have play, they're they're very disciplined, they're very organized, and I mean, they're really talented too. Yeah, I mean, part of me feels like that they're going to just throw up Ferran Debele and I don't even know who else. <laughs> but I feel like that's probably going to be at least two of the attackers. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know. I honestly, like, I have such a hard time feeling this match out because Barcelona are so wildly inconsistent. Yeah. And the thing that scares me is, like, this defense can crack. And well, I feel that's like the, they have that's to, the real problem. <laughs> they have to hold... Sevilla to like one goal like I feel like any more than that and Sevilla is just going to walk away with three points and that would be yeah so, I, that, I that would be that. somewhat depressing and also it's hard to remember this too but like I mean you're going on the road against the second best team in La Liga when you are yeah. arguably not one of the you know four maybe at best like the fifth best team in the in, in the league at this point um, yeah so like a draw would be like excellent oh that would be delightful yeah, yeah. if we yeah because if you if you come out of this with a draw because I think I feel like you and I have talked about this, but I mean, if we haven't, it, you know, it might have even been offline or something. But I can't remember the last. Um, I don't even want to say encouraging, but just I guess encouraging result or last kind of actually sort of I don't know, like uh, unqualified, <laughs> the last result that gave us just sort of unqualified optimism and, mm-hmm. and encouragement, you know, against against a quality team at that. So, I mean, it hasn't been any of the Bayern Munich games, you know, it was neither of the Benfica games. It was, you know, I mean, have they, has there been a, I, mean, I guess they, there was a league win over Real Sociedad that's pretty good from early in the season you know I think maybe only losing the classico by one goal yeah right i mean but that's that's terribly kind of where we're at i mean i think the closest is like the yoan camper trophy over juventus yeah i mean i guess yeah there was um i mean we can say the 3-1 over Villarreal, but i don't they they weren't two goals better than them in that game uh I think it's the yeah. Copa del Rey win over Sevilla in March. It might, you know, like that's that's what I'm looking at. I keep kind of scrolling back and just, yeah, I'm gonna say, yeah, maybe the four-two against Real Sociedad to open the season. Like that's that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, so if you can take a point away from home against the second best team in the league, who's and like they're in good form, so it's not like you're we're catching them as they're stumbling and, you know, about to, about to tumble down the table. Like this is a legitimately really good team that is pretty well constructed to, you know, to challenge and beat Barcelona. Like, I mean, to, to take a point from that, I would be absolutely delighted. I mean, you brought, you brought up the point that I would actually be most concerned about is, is the Barca defense because so, I mean, yeah, offensively, it's going to be, it's going to be a slog. It's going to be a huge challenge to break Sevilla down. Fine. But what's unfortunate is that the Barca defense, 
as currently constructed has shown just an ability to give up goals in quick succession to less than world-class opposition. <laughs> and then, so now you put them up against, now I know, you know, Sevilla is not necessarily the, the freest scoring team in the world, but they've got dudes that can put the ball in the net. <laughs> and that's, um, that tends to pose a problem for Barca's defense. Yeah, I mean, they're tied for the third highest scoring team in La Liga. Right? Yeah. So it's not, yeah. like you said, they're not slouches when it comes to offensive attacks. All right, um, let's talk about some rumor stuff. Uh, yep. I just, like, I can't get enough of the Erling Holland stuff because I think it's so cute <laughs> that uh, we're fooling ourselves into thinking there's a chance. Um, yeah. <laughs> this morning, there were some quotes from his lovely agents, who I'm, I'm sure you have many thoughts on. Uh, and he said that uh, Holland can, quote, wait for Barcelona, whatever that means. Uh, but can he wait till 2027 when we finally have the money to sign him is the real question. Um, this uh, this all ends up with him going to Real with Kylian Mbappe, right? That's how this ends up? I don't know. Um, well, maybe. But uh, I think he probably winds up in England, but you really um, think so i do city just makes me mad like i I don't even want to entertain that because that's the (laughs) one thing if they get him it's over i mean it it already might be over in the premier league but uh if they get him it's like really really over yeah i mean and that's i mean that's imminently possible i suppose um yes i mean there's who would it be anyway i mean so so it's either what we're saying either real madrid or what it's man city or Bayern, Chelsea, I guess. Wants to go. Yeah, yeah, Bayern, and um, and then in England, it's what City, Chelsea, and I guess theoretically United. They always seem to find like a hundred million to just heave it, whatever problem they have. And so, you know, like I don't know of those. I I feel like he winds up going to England just in because everything that that you do read about the guy, and I don't, you know, I don't know how much of it is spot on but by all accounts like he's a he's a pretty like easygoing guy who just likes to be this awesome football player and not uh not be saddled with all this like all these mountains of bs outside of you know showing up and the thing is and this applies massively to real madrid this applies massively to to barcelona like your job only begins when you play well on the pitch. Like playing well on the pitch is like the the first prerequisite to just not being run out of town on a rail. And because then you have to do all the right genuflecting and you have to do the, you know, all the political stuff. And, you know, you have to be the, the right personality and play the right way and all this stuff. And I don't know that from what I've read about Erling Holland's personality, I don't know that, either place but definitely i don't know that the the personality that surrounds real madrid is exactly tailored to his personality yeah part of me feels like that's why i guess i would picture Bayern munich as the favorite to sign him yeah if Lewandowski actually does walk away for whatever reason um I don't know. Just like seeing him in the Premier League just is like a weird picture in my head. I don't know why. Like it makes sense in terms of like you just like you go to the Premier League, right? Like it's just that's just where you should go, probably. Uh, in terms well, because the problem is too, stuff. 
Yeah, well, because the problem is too that like a Bayern Munich move would kind of it would stink in sort of a, a similar but different way where it's like, okay, great. So Bayern Munich just came and took Dortmund's best player again, you know, and just like rinse repeat for, you know, okay, cool. So we're going to do this for another dozen years with this guy. Yeah. And, like, so like, in, in like in their own way, all of them feel kind of, you know, why kind the Barcelona weird, quotes though? Like, I, I guess I just don't even understand why he would like. It, it that doesn't help him. Like Barcelona aren't driving up the price for anybody. Barcelona can afford anything. <laughs> no, that you know I. So broadly speaking, so taking individual players out of it, but just broadly speaking, yeah. Every time I see one of these, whether it's um, whether it's Holland or you know, there's a lot of the the Ferran Torres chat from. Uh, but at least he'd from, be cheap. I mean, relatively, but it's still like 60 million. Like Barca's budget, I think, is like 40. <laughs> so like even I, I, mean, then, I would be shocked if it was 40, to be honest. But, so I, I think, it, I don't know. Like these are the, the little just, you know, sort of rumors and even just yeah. articles were from people who seem to be moderately at least plugged in. Is like, so I think there's a way that because La Liga revenues are, I think ramping up again, you know, from the COVID sure. hamstrung year. So I think they're they have a little bit more wiggle room in terms of the the cash that they're allowed to commit. Um, and you know, and I think there's still a, a big assumption too that some people are getting moved on. You know, because um, there's all the talk about uh, Usman. Dembele and you know is he going to re-up is he not uh you know what's going to happen I find it really hard to believe and because especially if the quotes are true where he's like he wants to be paid like a Ballon d'Or candidate just like what are you doing like you understand where you are and like like I don't know like even if you don't read the news like you live in Barcelona you have some conception of what's happening with this club yeah I see, and I get that, but then like Laporte feeds it by being like he's better than Mbappe. Yeah, which I look, I understand like they have to they have to do this stuff and like because I understand too from Barca's perspective, as absurd as as it all sounds, and you know, as absurd as we kind of know it all is to to be sort of lumped in with the other big clubs in in all of these rumors for for mega transfers. I understand the one part of it, which is in this, you know, just horrific financial time, they want to maintain their status, I think. Like, just, you want to still be among the, when people rattle off big clubs, you know, and they go, you know, City, United, Liverpool, PSG, you know, Real Madrid, whatever. Like, you you want to make sure you're in that group. Yeah, like when Raiola is in Milan having drinks with, you know, all these guys yeah. talking about stuff. I, I I just picture like Laporta kind of creeping in. He's like, hey, uh, like, do you, do you have 30 seconds? Raiola just like dying laughing after three whiskey sours. And yeah, like, sure, come on over. And they just they sit and talk for 30 seconds. So Laporta can just get grouped in with uh, with all the big shots. Look, I think I mean, you know, it, it might be. I mean, marginally and probably only marginally more dignified than that. But I think like, I think there's a little bit of that where, you know, like, and, and some of that is, I, I realize some of it is, is legacy and sort of the, just a belief that 
you know, Barca have been through brutal patches before and, you know, FC Barcelona is FC Barcelona. This isn't forever, all of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there's a certain status to at least, you know, I think it's one of those things, like, even if, even if I'm not going to go to the party, I'd like to at least, you know, I'd like to at least be told that it's happening. And let and, me ask you a question, because you're more of a Barca historian than I am. Before the Coutinho and Dembele transfers, Barcelona weren't a team that I can remember going out and spending crazy money on players. It was, it was youthful prospects for the most part. Well, so the thing is, like, there's the... I guess there's the raw doubt, the raw dollars inflation that's happened. Cause like, so I think, so obviously when they signed Cruyff in whatever it was, I guess it was 74 or 73, I think Cruyff was the most expensive player in the world at that time. Okay. Now, granted, they didn't go on a, on an epic spree beyond that. And, you know, similarly, I guess uh, whenever it was like 82 or something, when they signed Maradona, Maradona was the most expensive player in, okay. in the world. So, okay. at, so, at that so th- this wasn't necessarily like a 2010s era new thing. No, but, but I think what happened was, so if you go through one there up until sort of the late nineties um, post. So like their, their big money swings for, you know, kind of between Cruyff and what, maybe Ronaldo or Rivaldo, kind of so from the, the early to mid-70s until the late 90s, their big swings generally tended to connect. So they would spend big money on guys here and there, but it was, um, you know, they didn't have as many flops, for lack of a bit, you know, for lack of a better word. You know, it was... Uh, you know, like they even in the eighties, like when they weren't even all that great, like they they had Gary Lineker from England, like he he scored hat tricks, you know, he scored at least like a hat trick in a classical. Like he was a decent player for them. And then the dream team happened. It was Kuman and Stoichkov and Lavrov and uh, Romario, and you know there wasn't a lot of these. Like you didn't have a Felipe Coutinho, who you know you'd spent a monumental sum of money on just sitting there on the bench just either collecting dust or almost like taunting you you know what i mean okay. uh, so and, but i think what really happened it's like in the last 10 years in particular um it was basically during the the sandro rossell and bartomeu years where everything went completely haywire and the the problem is not even any one misfire it's they weren't trying to push through youthful prospects that might be able to be acquired inexpensively and yet every window they would spend i don't know between 30 and 50 million on like four random midfielders i mean it was Arda Turan, it was andre gomez it was um i mean i guess well coutinho was like three of those guys um uh, who, I'm, I'm forgetting there was Arthur in there and then there was the no. cooking the books where you swap Arthur for Marilyn Pjanic I mean it's just it's it's just like a cavalcade of this stuff so they made 40 million euro mistake after 40 million euro mistake and didn't really have a big hit you know for a good five six years until till Barto was kicked out last year yeah um 
let's wrap up talking about Chavi. Just what are your big picture Chavi's thoughts so far? He's been kind of exactly like I, I have no notes so far because like I don't know what he's supposed to do with this team right now, uh, other than just like show up. And so I, I don't know whether anything else but to just say like, yeah, cool, keep doing it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think so much of it is um I mean, obviously he's trying to implement you know, stylistic and, and tactical changes. And you can see it a little bit, but it hasn't been like a, you know, complete overhaul or anything like that. But so you see a little bit of changes there. And I do think, I think on the, just on the whole, the baseline level of play has, I do think the baseline level of play is probably marginally higher than it was before. And also, um, there is a certain level more, a certain uh, added level of consistency to it that I think didn't have where I think guys are starting to get an idea of what the game plan is. Uh, like I said, I don't think the team is necessarily well constructed to always execute the game plan, but I think he's doing a better job of actually imparting what the game plan is or is supposed to be. Um, but there's so much of, I, I think what he's doing right now is all, I think the press conferences are probably the, you know, if not as important as the games like there, because this is where he's, he's talking about the, the vibes and sort of the, the restoring the club and, you know, all of this and sort of, you know, teaching these guys. And that only goes so far, I understand, but the, that whole, the, the Barca style of playing almost depends on something of a hive mind mentality. Like you need, so many of your first 11 to be firmly planted on the same page. So I understand that too. So I think there is a certain personality and psychological element of figuring out which of these guys is, is inclined towards or like is locked into your style of thinking and then, and figuring out which ones can be sort of pushed in that direction. Um, and then presumably, you know, clean house of the people who aren't, uh, who don't, you know, fall within that philosophy. Because I mean, it's kind of like, you know, when Guardiola came in, it was, now granted, the, the, you know, they were already kind of showing signs of decline as players, but he got rid of Ronaldinho, he got rid of Deco. And, you know, it's one of those things. I think he's going to try to just, purge the the dressing room of of guys who aren't at least inclined to learning and picking up the the way that he's that he's trying to move the team yeah i mean i think most of the changes and you alluded to this that he's brought in are probably things we can't see it's the Mm -hmm. it's the dressing room attitude it's the training it's all that stuff and it's the mentality of a team that has more swagger than it shows on the pitch, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. And that's important, right? Like you have to rebuild that mentality behind the scenes because uh, they were clearly broken behind the scenes. Um, okay. Uh, what are you working on before we head into the uh, the holidays and kind of a little break before the new year? Uh, uh, so I actually uh, just wrote uh, for, for, for a site called uh, Urban Pitch. I actually just wrote something about... Uh, I guess it's it's notionally about La Masia, but it's actually about the also the history of the Barca women's team and the I guess the 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 progress of the the Barca women's setup and 
La Masia and how they're kind of merged now and the the youth products that are now sort of killing it for uh, for Barca Femini. Nice. And uh, that should be up in the next few days. I can shoot you a, a text of it and uh, um, doing that. And then ideally, I might be writing again about the 96-97 uh, La Liga season. Um, I, I genuinely just thought you were going to say 96-97 like Utah Jazz or something like that. Let's... <laughs> well, no, but the 96-97 Lakers season was a big one, too. I mean, it ended disappointingly, but that was the arrivals of Shaq and Kobe, but uh, no, that was, uh, but the 96, 97, uh, La Liga season, that's the one, uh, Ronaldo's one year with Barca and it just, there was a lot of, you know, it was the, the Bobby Robson year and all that stuff. So, uh, ideally that, and, uh, yeah, and otherwise actually have a uh, forum blue and gold. I'm doing regular, um, uh, Laker game previews, which, uh, in these days of, I don't know, like 74% of the league, like just hopping in and out of health and safety protocols is a bit of a fraught exercise, but you know. I mean, you had to love the, I mean, you could not have scripted the Kyrie stuff better than what happened this weekend, could you? Like in your head a couple months ago, could you have scripted it better than what happened in those 24 hours? <laughs> yeah, well, no, I mean, that's kind of, yeah, because I thought we, were, we just weren't going to see him. I thought he was just going to sit out the year because they kept, you know, he was getting paid. So, you know, whatever, you just sit at home and like play PlayStation and bank your $35 million or whatever it is. But then, yeah, the team quickly turns on its heel and just sets fire to all of their principled stands and is like, hey, we're pretty shorthanded. Why don't you hop on board? And like, they have a multi-game lead at the top of the conference with all the other teams, you know, getting hammered by, by protocols too. So it's not like they're tumbling down the standings where they had to make a, a desperate, like break glass kind of move. So they, yeah, they abandoned all principles and bring Kyrie on board. And then instantaneously, he has to go into health and safety protocols. I mean, like the NBA <laughs> subreddit, I have never, I've never had more fun when the shams tweet was posted to the nba <laughs> subreddit and it was just it was a field day and it was just like oh god i mean it's just kyrie irving has entered safety proto covid 19 so i mean it was just like just so funny so good well i remember i said on twitter like i mean i i guess i under i underestimated <laughs> what was my because i remember when they announced that i was like man he's gonna be in protocols within like a week and i thought i was you know, I thought I was being a little aggressive with that. <laughs> I thought they'd at least figure out a way to keep him out of there for like for a week. But yeah, so yeah, he goes into the health and safety protocols. So now you're, yeah, it's essentially you've, you still don't have Kyrie for the moment. I don't know how good an NBA player he is right now anyway. Like he's been doing nothing for three months or four I mean, he, months or whatever. He, he might be kind of thick. We have no idea. Well, right. And like, at the very least, he's rusty, right? I mean, you would assume because he didn't have training camp. He he hasn't played all year. So you gave up all of your moral high ground for this, like, roll of the roulette wheel. I don't like, think any of just... us doubted that uh, an NBA ownership group would give up moral high ground if it meant potentially saving something. The thing is, I was actually, like, I was really surprised and impressed that they – took the moral high ground in the first and like, and actually followed through on it before the season. And they were like, no, man, you don't get moral high ground. I genuinely think they thought he was going to infect the entire team. 
Well, there's that. And also, and the one thing is too, sports owners don't like to be bullied. So I think they were like, no, man, we're not going to pay you a full salary to play, you know, like 35 road games or something. <laughs> and so like, it's almost better for us to, to pay you to stay home than to pay you to kind of almost like laugh at us and just only play these, you know, selection of road games. But look, I think the, the NBA, the, the prevailing wisdom seems to be, and I, I buy into this too, the NBA needs to get over the Christmas day. I mean, we'll call it a finish line or something, but they need to deliver those Christmas day games because that is the NBA's Super Bowl as much as anything. It wouldn't surprise me if we get a two week shutdown of the league, like on December 26th or 27th or something. Oh, fun times. I'm glad we're still here after. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> All right. Uh, everybody, thanks for listening to the Barca Blog on this podcast. And Emil, thank you for joining us as always. Good, sir. Josh, it's always a pleasure.